It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. You mentioned that we can't perceive something that's not already within us, like the example you gave with the gurus during our meditation today. But this is also applicable with things such as greed, anger, ignorance, etc., Do these things come into our awareness because of the quality of our consciousness? Or is there a point where we won't be aware of anger anymore? Anger will always be there. And there's always a reason to be angry about something. Um, It's just a natural state of uh, energy exchange within the world. Um, Animals get angry, or at least they get aggressive. Um, Sometimes animals get despondent. Um, Sometimes they get fearful or anxious. But the difference between us and animals is that they usually don't dwell on it, meaning it's it's a passing experience, it's a passing emotion. They have it, they let it go, they move on with whatever's coming next. The difference with us, with our ability to cognize and remember and conceptualize things like time, is that um, the problem we have is that when we get angry, well, rather than just being appropriate with the anger and maybe expressing it, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with expressing anger. Um, we hold on to it and we make it something that we define ourselves by. So anything that we can experience, yes, anything that we can experience from the most horrific, horrendous act of criminal minds to the most beautiful blessings a saint can give, um, all those are possibilities within consciousness. And all those are within the infinite and what we're doing with yoga is recognizing that first, first off. And secondly, we're then deciding, do we really want to entertain that? Um, because there's a possibility for any kind of experience. And this is why, um, you know, I've said this during our retreat back in New York, and I've said it other times too. When I was younger, I was really interested in like how people think and what they do because it, it perplexed me. I would, I would observe the behaviors of people and see what they were doing and wonder, why would they keep doing that? That doesn't make any sense. I, I remember one time um, I was very young and my mom was talking about um, how one of her friends who kept uh, putting herself in a really bad situation with her relationship. And I, I was young. I, I might not have even been a teenager yet. And what came out of my mouth was, well, she must like it. My mom got mad. She's like, what do you mean she must like it? I was like, well, she keeps putting herself back in that situation. She must like it some for some reason. So I had an interest in why people did what they did. But as the years went by, I observed that um, people do what they do. And we do what we do because we want to resonate or experience something particular. And most of us haven't really thought that through. And so life seems chaotic. Life seems like things just happen randomly. That's because we haven't really kind of chosen a direction. And even when you choose a direction, of course, sometimes you have hiccups that occur and all the great adventures, nothing goes as planned. Um, But 
you tend to kind of uh, hold a particular kind of frequency and, and experience once you decide that that is important to you. Um, so anyway, this is why you have to be conscious of what um, you have to be conscious of what you want in your consciousness. And you have to be conscious of what is in your consciousness, because there might be things that are there because you just haven't chosen a different experience or for whatever reason, um, or because you keep choosing that experience. So the first step is always admitting that any possibility exists in consciousness. Anything that could, could possibly happen definitely exists somewhere in some way in consciousness. But what we're doing uh, with the practice of yoga is we're choosing, uh, in a sense, to either rise above certain things or to gain greater knowledge of certain things. In the holy science, Sri Yukteswar talks about, in a way, these states of consciousness or these worlds, these spiritual worlds. And he describes how when you're so caught up in the human experience with all of its emotions and sentimentality, um, you can't usually perceive higher realms because when you are, when you believe that all that exists is matter and these emotions, well, you have a really hard time. You can't even conceive of something beyond that. It seems ridiculous or wrong, but as a person grows spiritually and they rise through to other realms, if you want to think of it that way, or clearer states of consciousness, well, then like, wow, this is a whole other way of being. But now they can, they can, if we're using the metaphor of up and down, they can look down and see the morass of human difficulty because the higher up you go, you can see below, but the lower you are, you can't quite see up. That's why we have these practices and we have these gurus whom have, who, who are on, again, the metaphor, this is just a metaphor. This is not to say someone is worse off than another person whom have reached the mountaintop and they can look down from that mountaintop view and they can see where everyone is and they can see the pitfalls and they can say, oh, well, you know, maybe you want to go a little to the right here. And if the, the, the people way down there can hear the guru, then they'll listen and they'll follow it and they'll eventually make it to the top and they'll also have that wonderful view. But most of us aren't listening and so we're in, we're down here and we know there's a top up there, but we, we don't know that if we take a right turn here, we're about to experience a, a pitfall or, or some setback. We don't know that if we went left instead, that the way would be clear. Um, so we always need to remember simply that, you know, faith in a guru, in a teacher, in a teaching is very important. Of course, finding someone who actually <laughs> has experienced these higher states of consciousness is, is not easy um, because there are plenty of people who um, have dreams or fantasies and make things up and believe uh, that they've experienced things they haven't, and they really believe it. But if you get lucky <laughs> or if you, if you in, intention, if you have the intention uh, to find um, someone who can help you in that way. Um, sometimes they'll say things and you just have to listen and trust. And that has always been my experience. I remember very early on with Mr. Davis, there were a few things that I really doubted what he said. 
Um, when he talked, I just thought, yeah, okay, I get that. I've thought that my whole life. But there are a few things that I went, mm, are you sure? I mean, are you not just old and, um, you know, set in your ways and don't quite understand what life is like now? I thought things like that until a few years later, as I had more experiences, I realized, oh, no, he pretty much knew what he was talking about. Um so there is a, a level of number one, developing your own discernment to recognize who is helpful and who is not. There's also the issue of being able to listen um, and continue on your way. Uh, and then you're able to recognize um, these things. And also how there really is no problem with anger. There's no problem with sadness. There's no problem with fear. The problem is the holding on to it, believing that it is you. Um, and it's not that you don't become aware of anger anymore. It's more so that you see it and now you can choose to express it or not. And this has been my experience, um, in the last many years, I can't even think how far back I've gotten angry. Sure. But had I had, when I was younger, like as a teenager, when I got angry, I'd be so overcome with anger that I, things just happened. I did things that later I thought to myself, well, that was interesting. I was sort of out of control. Um, but once you get more clarity, then when anger arises, you can decide, well, is it appropriate to express this now? And sometimes it is, you know, if someone's doing something to you and you need to be very clear, no, this is not acceptable. Well, then getting, anger, getting angry and using that expression of aggression to make it very clear where you stand with things, there's no problem with that. Um, same thing with sadness and, and, and anxiety. It's okay to feel those things. Uh, it's when you let them control you or define you that, that the problem arises. So I have a question. Why do we need to keep reminding ourselves of our true nature of love and peace? Why does anger and fear seem to come more naturally? Is it to do with the cycle of the yugas we are in at the moment? In a way, it is to do with the cycle of the yugas, because, um, you know, as, as we discussed uh, at the last retreat and in other videos, that the states of consciousness that we experience are pretty much defined by uh, where we exist in time. You know, in the dark ages, all you'd be thinking about is money, power, and sex, more than likely, surviving, <laughs> for most people at that time, making it past 20. Um, and there are plenty of people in the world today that that's all they are focused on because they haven't quite outgrown that mentality. But if you look around and if you pay attention to um, how people are living and acting, um, while yes, there is still that animalistic aspect of the Kali Yuga, there is an emphasis on more understanding, trying to understand people. There is more of an emphasis on imagining what it would be like if we could really get along. And there is more of an emphasis on realizing that things like war and um, stuff like that, really, if you asked a lot of people, more people nowadays would say, yeah, I'd prefer that we didn't get involved in wars versus say in the Kali Yuga, when you were just tribal and if you needed to go take something over, by God, you just went and you did it. There was no one sitting around saying, yeah, but is war really a good thing? And if there were, they were in the minority. Um, but on the other hand, we have to remember that um, we have to remember 
that we have a human body and the human body is a wonderful gift. However, the human body still possesses animal qualities. It still has instincts. It still has hormones. It still has ancestral memories. And we have to put it into perspective that the human body is a stage in, in the evolution of consciousness. And again, studying Sri Yukteswar's holy science helps us to understand this, but it's a hard thing to talk about until you've experienced some level of, um, I guess, evolving or, or transformation. Because as long as you have a human body with the hormones, with the instincts, with the ancestral memories, well, as a yogi, we're meant to become aware of that. And once we become aware of it, then we become conscious of the possibilities. And as we become conscious of the possibilities, now it's up to us as yogis to start choosing. Do we want to let um, fear and anger dominate our lives? Do we? Once you become conscious, then you have a responsibility to decide, do I want to do that? And if the answer is no, then you practice yoga, then you live a life that starts to weed that out, then you get your counseling to deal with the traumas, which make it easy for you to be angry and fearful, and you start growing. You start uh, putting to work this gift, this, this spiritual temple, so that you are able to rise above those things, not spiritually bypass them, not ignore them, not repress them, just see them in perspective to the wholeness of life and to what you are as spirit. And once you start to see that, then this body becomes, in a sense, a sacred temple. And maybe while you're alive in this body, you reach that inner state, uh, which Sri Yukteswar might call the angelic or the sannyasin state, where you are an adept, a master, an accomplished yogi. And then you can just abide there and you can go on living out your physical days here, knowing that the physical days will eventually end. But then you will, since you already know you are a spirit, there'll be no problem making the transition into a lighter realm or a realm where you're not bound to the body or experiencing this physical body. And that is part of the process of yoga. That's what we're aiming to do. But it does require the hard work of acknowledging fear and anger and making peace with and dealing with and, and responding appropriately to those things while choosing a higher path. This is not a path, uh, this is not a path that um, many people are going to take. And even the people who say they're interested in it rarely are taking it because it requires daily this attention to detail of realizing, okay, I'm fearful, I'm angry today. Well, am I going to just let that persist because I either don't have the energy reserves to deal with it or because I'm lazy? Now, I make this distinction because um, some people are in situations where they are so traumatized, where they do not have any support that they actually just do not have the energy or the capacity to, to do this, to uh, attend to these things. It's, it's just not there. And it's, it's no real fault of their own. It's just a situation. However, again, this is why yoga is so important because if you recognize that you don't have the energy or the capacity or the, the reserves and the strength 
to work through anger and fear, well, then that's when you have to say, I'm going to start getting them. I'm going to start piece by piece, little by little, step by step, considering how can I set better boundaries in my life? How can I find someone to help me just look at these traumas, which, which make me react in ways that aren't really healthy consistently day after day. And once you start, once you start intending for that to happen, you start just reaching a little bit at a time to make that possible. Eventually you start getting a little more energy and your reserves fill up just a teeny weeny little bit, but that's a little more energy for you to continue doing the work for the work of self-development of, of self-care until eventually you get enough reserves that you get like a breakthrough moment. And then you can set your life up so that instead of just getting by on the fumes, the, the, the petrol or the gasoline fumes, now your tank is actually filling up and you're going to have the energy to actively engage in yoga in a profound way so that when fear comes up, when anger comes up, when depression comes up, you don't just say, man, I don't have it. I just, I just, I just don't have it now. I can't, I can't deal with it now because I'm so depleted. Now it's okay. I've got the energy. I know what needs to be done. I'm going to do it. I'm going to practice yoga. I'm going to live according to the Amas and Niyamas. I'm going to explore those qualities in chapter 16 of the Bhagavad Gita that relate to um, having a divine destiny. And then you recognize the work of your life is this, essentially. Um, so that's one, that's one side of it. The other side is you just don't care and you are lazy. And a lot of people do that because they have so much going for them. They have technological um, things in their life, which would give them all the time in the world if they would just accept it and they would cut out all the, the, the unnecessary stuff. They, they have a good family that doesn't trouble them too much. Um, they have enough money to pay their bills and to eat good food and to, to do what they need to do, but they're comfortable there. And so they don't go anywhere else. They just want to remain comfortable. And so yoga and meditation for them isn't really about this profound process that it's meant to be for us to evolve and transform through consciousness. It's just a way to stay comfortable in this, in this earth realm. Um, and you may recall, I'm sure you do, that one time Mr. Davis was with Yogananda and they were walking around uh, this property together and Yogananda was talking. And finally, he said, do you have any questions to Mr. Davis? And Mr. Davis always said he never really went with questions. He just wanted to be in Yogananda's presence. And uh, one question popped up. He said, how many of the saints, how many of the teachers or gurus in Autobiography of a Yogi the people that he met, the yogis that he met, how many of them are actually fully self-realized and enlightened? And he said, Yogananda came right back and said, not many, not to be judgmental. He just said, not many. He said, many of them are so content to hang out in that peacefulness, that bliss of God communion, um, that they don't go any further. It's comfortable for them. But he said, you must go all the way. And so I'm saying this to you as well. You must go all the way if you have the ability and the energy to do it. And if you don't, you need to work on it. Um, so we always need to keep this in mind. And of course, it's okay to reach plateaus. You know, maybe you've been struggling so much in your life that finally you filled up your reserves and you just want to feel good for a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. That's completely understandable. But at some point in time, you have to look around and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm strong again. 
uh, I, I have the reserves that I need. And I know that this life is meant for so much more than just dawdling around and eking out a few pleasures here and there. And so you begin recommitting to the process and the process doesn't have to be stressful in any way. You know, that's one of the difficulties that we have to keep in mind that many people suffer from who get involved in yoga and meditation. Um, while some people get involved in it because they're trying to get away from pain, some people get involved in yoga because they just want to be perfect. Uh, they have an idea of perfection and spiritual perfection is top of the list. <laughs> So we get a lot of um, type A, highly driven people who are doing it because um, they have some kind of minor inferiority, inferiority complex and they're just trying to be a perfect good person. And um, that in, in a way keeps stressing them out because you're never gonna reach that point where you're, you're this perfect person that you expect to be. Um, you can have perfect spiritual realization, but that has nothing to do with this idea of a, a perfect expression of a human in the world. You know, there were um, sages, Dervasa, who had great anger issues and would curse people all the time. Um, there are sages who experienced great adversity. So the idea of a perfect physical human experience um, needs to be released and moving into that perfect awareness of observing, of witnessing, of seeing things as they are directly. Now that's okay. Um, but we need to be very conscientious about our motivations. Uh, and that's hard. I mean, that's, that's again why teachers, gurus are so important. Because you, using that idea of the mountaintop where they can look down and see things, they can sometimes see through some of your uh, some of your complexes. They can see if you're just really trying too hard because you just want to be seen as perfect or as a good person. They can see whether you're just being lazy. They can see whether maybe you just don't have the capacity to understand things yet. Or they can see if you're just so tapped out that you don't even have the reserves to really process and feel and experience higher states of consciousness because what you need is a nap. <laughs> what you need is rest. Um, and that is the role of, of the teacher and, and the guru. Um, and that's why they can be so valuable. And that's why uh, it's important to try to find the best guidance that you can. And you know that you've got good guidance when, when you apply what you've been taught in time, not immediately, sometimes immediately, but usually through consistent application results in greater peace of mind. Uh, greater awareness of your states of consciousness um, and, and greater understanding of spiritual texts and, and what is being shared by um, spiritual teachers that you've respected or maybe from the past. Uh, that's usually the best way of, of gauging it, not whether you have blissful uh, surges of ecstasy and all these types of things. Um, in my experience, you know, you're all here, so I don't need to tell you all this, but just for the sake of reiteration, um, it's very good to have a teacher that is part of uh, an embodied lineage, meaning it can be traced back. One teacher met the other teacher, studied with the other teacher, and so on. Because there are many people these days that can just say, oh, Babaji came to me in a dream or you know, down from a spaceship or I was initiated in, in, in some reverie of meditation. 
Um, whether that's true or not, I can't really comment. I'm usually skeptical of those types of things. Um, now, if they have good information, we'll try it out. But I'm usually skeptical. Of course, we have to remember that myself and like you, we have the luxury of having met people who are part of an embodied lineage. And so when you've got that luxury, it makes it easy to say things like I'm saying right now. But if you don't have that luxury, um, of course, you take what you can get. <laughs> and you hope that God and the guru is, is the infinite consciousness is working appropriately through whomever you happen to have in front of you to, to share and guide and, and teach you. And of course, that is always a possibility. Um, anyway, let's go ahead and move on to... Does the despondency of Arjuna return from time to time as part of the normal course of life? Or does there ever come a time after much practice that this despondency will not come back around? I would say that it gets less and less. And again, this always ties back to a few other things. How you're living your life, the people that surround you, um, the amount of mental, emotional issues that need to be dealt with, all of that plays a role. And again, as I said yesterday, um, the mental, emotional side of things, everyone who is a human being has something. So when I talk about that, there's, there's no judgment there. If, if you're embodied, there's got to be some kind of quirk in there deep down inside. Now, whether it interferes with your uh, higher awareness or not is, is really the issue. Um, you can observe, uh, now, now that we have videos um, of teachers and recordings, if you pay attention long enough, you'll start to pick up on what little quirks and idiosyncrasies um, teachers have. You know, you hear me talk about the loss of my wife a lot. Well, I'm still hung up on that. <laughs> That's still something that I'm working through. Um, and it colors a lot of how I see the world at this point in time. Uh, if you listen to uh, other teachers, if you pay attention long enough, maybe you'll catch a little bit of a, a quirk or a little bit of something that you can tell that they haven't quite necessarily fully resolved yet. But that doesn't mean that they have not been able to access higher states of consciousness, or that doesn't mean that they're, they're not able to show you how to do that too. It, it really depends on the level of awareness around it. Um, but what I have found, because when I first started out with this process in Kriya Yoga, um, I was definitely despondent. And there were multiple times where I remember um, being stuck on the couch and thinking to myself, what's the point? What's this all about? And it happened uh, repeatedly. While I was still practicing Kriya Yoga, while I was still figuring all of this stuff out. Um, and then there came a point in time where purpose was no longer questioned. Despondency was no longer really considered to be a problem. Because again, despondency comes and it goes. It's, it's just like the night and the day alternating. 
But once you're able to see it for that, for what it is, once you're able to see it for what it is, it doesn't trouble you anymore. Um, again, it's like right now it's raining, which means I can't go for a bike ride. Okay. Is that, um, is that really a problem? Not to me. If it rained for the next 20 days and I couldn't go for a bike ride, well, yeah, I might start to get a little antsy. <laughs> but when I was younger and I felt like, oh, I have to exercise every day. I have to do this every day. Well, then, yeah, rain would really bother me. Um, but the reason the despondency eventually doesn't come back around in the way that you might be asking the question or for the reason you might be asking the question is because there comes a point in time where you see what's going on. You see the importance of your meditation practice. You see when you remember, that's, that's the other thing. Memory is very important. You remember, uh, you remember the clarity and the realizations that you have had which means that when an issue arises, which would pull you into despondency, it doesn't because you just, you remember the realization, you remember the truth of why you're doing what you're doing. And that can in a way be compared to, it's like if you are in a, a healthy, loving relationship. Well, when you're with the person that you're in love with, of course you feel good and you feel supported. Um, but when you're apart, that can be like the despondency because that love is not physically present. It's not there. Um, the person is not there. The support that you feel when you're in their presence is not there. However, because you know the eternal aspect of that love and support, it doesn't bother you. You, you know it's there. You know that when you see the person again, that you will feel it again and it will be present. And so in a way, what happens is, spiritually speaking, um, this loving relationship that you have with spirit or the divine or the infinite, you eventually reach a healthy level of understanding about it in the way that you would reach a healthy level of understanding about a relationship. And you don't have to be codependent anymore. You don't have to be worried if they go somewhere else or you're not in their presence, or it's, they're not immediately telling you that they love you all the time. You don't have to do that. You can be with a person. You don't have to say a word and you feel it. You can be across the ocean and you know the strength of that love. Well, the same is true, again, with this idea of uh, spirituality. And that is why um, the spiritual life is so often compared to like a divine romance or a marriage, or why Christians talk about being married to Jesus. It's not that they're marrying this guy and that's what's important. Jesus, the Christ consciousness is a state of consciousness. And when you are committed to, devoted to, married to, one with that state of consciousness, well, again, it's like having a healthy relationship. Um, when, when there is the obvious support and flow of, of, of a devotion there, it's there. When it's not, you know it's still there. You have the memory of it. You know the connection is there. You have experienced it. So this is one of the reasons why um, the despondency of Arjuna is important. And that's why it's set at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, because it's the, it's the beginning of um, the spiritual path. And we, are often, we often return to the beginning sometimes because we haven't understood something. 
or um, we have some more to learn about a certain situation and circumstance. And we have to remember that the despondency of Arjuna is based upon um, seeing what needs to be done. So we have to remember that the Bhagavad Gita as a metaphor or an analogy, someone look up metaphor and analogy and tell me what the difference is because I need to know, put it in the chat box. Um, the, the Bhagavad Gita, it's a story, but it's really um, describing to us the spiritual path, like the, the reality of it. And it, during the despondency of Arjuna, what happens? Well, the infinite consciousness, Krishna, that which is our eternal spirit, is pointing out to us, here's what's going on. It's saying, on this side, you have these ego drives, which has allowed you to reach this human form which has allowed you to preserve your physical body, which has allowed you to remember who you are, which has allowed you to be, to reach this stage, these egotistical, selfish desires in a way. And on this other side, you have all these divine qualities, which is what you're aiming to, to develop, to work towards. The, the egotistical things were necessary to get you where you are, just like this physical body, no matter how gross and disgusting it is with all of its secretions and, um, necessities of care that it needs. It is, it is important. It is a gift. It is something which you need in order to practice yoga. So the grossness of it, the physicality of it is necessary, just like the grossness in the sense of you, uh, the grossness of being selfish, of protecting yourself, um, of having an individualized sense of self that was necessary to get you to this point. And so with the Bhagavad Gita, the infinite consciousness, Arjuna pulls the chariot in between the two sides and says, you have to fight this war. You have to extinguish all these selfish things. And of course, Arjuna, at the current state he's in, he hasn't quite fully grasped, grasped why it's important to um, attune to these divine qualities. He can't imagine slaying his sense of selfishness. He can't imagine slaying his sense of self-preservation. He can't imagine doing these things because that is what got him all the way here. He just doesn't have the capacity to understand that it's time to shed that skin. It's time to release that. And there are so many people in the world that stay stuck in terrible relationships and um, uh, old ways of being and bad jobs because they that they're just so comfortable there with it. They feel that, that they can't let it go because they don't know what's going to happen next. Um, so this is what happens in, in, in the spiritual process. This is what happens in the spiritual process. And if you keep coming back to the despondency of Arjuna in your own process, that just means there are probably things that you haven't slain yet. There are probably uh, older aspects of yourself, which you just haven't let go of yet, which you haven't given up, which you haven't sacrificed so that you can move more fully into the divine qualities um, within the field of consciousness. And we have a choice there. Um, so going back and forth between the despondency of Arjuna and your own experience, there is nothing wrong with that as long as you wonder, okay, well, why am I here again? It's not that you keep being thrown back to it as punishment. It's that it's it's like a it's like a lesson in a way that you keep coming back to it until you figure out oh, or when you're working on a puzzle. I don't want to use the, the idea of a lesson because lessons are can be very um, punitive in some ways. We see them as punitive. It's like looking at a puzzle. 
You, know, you keep coming back to this puzzle and you just can't find that piece and it drives you crazy, but you come back to it with a new fresh set of eyes and you look around and maybe you still don't find it. Oh, but you found another piece you weren't looking for and you stick it in there. And then you're frustrated because you still can't find that piece and you leave and you come back and you look around again. Oh, wait, there's another piece, which isn't the one you're looking for, but you can stick it in there. And one day you've come back to it enough that you finally find that one piece and you can pop it into, uh, pop it into the slot and then, and then it makes sense. And then you don't have to come back and look for that piece anymore because it's there. You've got it. You've put it where it needs to be. Um, so the despondency of Arjuna is important and it's okay if you continuously uh, come back to it, but there will be a time when you don't have to anymore. Um, that is definite and I can assure you of that. One of the few things, <laughs> one, of the few, one of the few things I can say for sure. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.